what we try to do is put a you know, an A product, uh, new kitchens, new baths, new flooring in a, you know, in a slightly older property that's, you know, that's nice, but just not, you know, doesn't have all the, maybe all the bells and whistles of the, you know, brand new building. You're listening to Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to cryptocurrencies. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Alternative Investor Mastermind. I'm your host, Jack Krupe, and also have Zach Grizio with us today again. And uh, we're going to do an internal episode. Uh, and today we're going to talk about all things commercial real estate, uh, just kind of look back at 2023 and maybe do a little looking forward into uh, the state of the uh, commercial real estate market uh, that we're heavily invested in. So, uh, uh, Zach, thanks for joining me again today. Yeah, Jack, excited to be here as always. We always have uh, plenty to talk about, especially now that we're wrapping up 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we were just talking before we hit record about uh, about interest rates. And uh, that's been a big, uh, a big topic throughout the year, uh, both, uh, you know, the, the Fed funds rate that uh, you know, moved up dramatically. But uh, an interesting fact is the, the five and the 10 year which, uh, you know, aren't really directly impacted by the Fed. Um, and, and some would say, you know, the Fed is responding to the bond market and what the five and 10 year do. Others think that, the, you know, the Fed pushes those rates. But what's interesting, and I just pulled up a chart, both the five and the 10 year at the beginning of the year were just under 4%. And there was some significant drops during the, the Silicon Valley bank banking crisis has got as low as 3.3. But as of today, both the five and the 10 year are at 4.11, which uh, yeah. is really not much of a move. And, uh, you know, for all the talk of, uh, you know, of, of interest rates, and there's certainly, you know, some sectors and, and some investors that are um, more proportionally impacted by it. But, uh, you know, overall, the, the rates from January to now are, are almost the same for two of the key uh, rates that really affect a majority of, of commercial real estate lending. Um, yeah, there's a lot of noise about the bridge loan debt, but a greater majority of, of loans are actually tracked to the five or the 10 year. Right. Yeah, no. And like you said, that really has been, I would say the biggest story of 2023 is interest rates, what the lending environment looks like as a result, what the 10 year has been five year. And like you said, it's not unchanged by any means. But it does seem like we're seeing a certain level of stabilization now to wrap up the year. Do you feel that way? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely great news. And, and, and things move pretty quickly because if you look at mid-October, uh, the 10-year creeped up almost to five. I believe it peaked at 4.98%. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, it, it was definitely causing some stress in the market. Uh, people that were thinking of potentially selling at that time, uh, you know, did not want to sell sort of at the peak of interest rates. It was giving some buyers um, some, some pause on sort of how to underwrite the deal. How do they underwrite their exit assumptions in three to five or 10 years? If, uh, you know, the current rate was close to five, which was, you know, 20% higher than it was a few months before. Uh, fortunately mm -hmm. that, that changed pretty quickly. So between October you know, it was 4.95 on October 19th, and today it's 4.1. And so, uh, you know, less than two months, it dropped again by about almost 
twenty percent. And, uh, and and this is a you know historically you know rates are you know within this range for the five and, and, and the ten year. They obviously dropped a bit during the the twenty twenty one when when you know the Fed rate was at zero, but sure. yeah, the ten year was never at zero or close to to zero. I think it might have been uh, might have gotten in the one one percent range. Okay, I'm mean, like in twenty twenty middle of COVID twenty seven basis points, but yeah, once you got into twenty twenty one, it was at one percent. Um. So, you know, it's went up significantly, but not the 5X or more that the, the, the 5 and the 10 year have. And if you look historically, other than that uh, 2020 time frame, you go back to 2019, you know, 1.5%, 2%. So, it, it, and then previously in 2019, it was at 25 So, we're, 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 we're getting to the point where it's only a point, point and a half above where it had been, you know, historically over, you know. Over yeah, we are. Period. No, and I, I think when you look at, you know, when you're doing syndications in 2019, 2020, and you think about kind of the state of the market, you know, having a call just like this one at the end of the year, it was a much different conversation. There really seems to be, you know, that we've had plenty of doom and gloom throughout the year. But again, it seems like we're seeing much less of that now with regards to things like interest rates, where the 10 year is going, how much further can, you know, can this continue? Whereas, you know, in previous years that we've, you know, been doing deals, it, it seems like, again, stabilization is, is a word that keeps coming to mind for me. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, no matter what the Fed wanted to do, they didn't seem to really break the economy. Um, you know, there, there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of other factors like labor shortage, uh, you know, that have kept unemployment low. Um, just, uh, yeah, it's the. Uh, Every every situation, every you know, every cycle is a bit different. I always use that term. History may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And uh, you know, the Fed's kind of using the standard playbook of, of raising rates that generally slows the economy. And I think you know, it has uh, you know, it's certainly at least on the on the commercial sector. I mean, it's certainly caused a few banks to fail, um, mm-hmm. caused lending to tighten in general. But, uh, you know, overall, you know, the good news this time around is the, the economy is, is, is pretty resilient. Um, I think the, the inflation that we had was really from external factors. You had, you had COVID and you had the, you know, money printed during COVID, plus just all the pent up demand and supply chain issues that were all, all coming together at once. So, um, right. Yeah. This was really a response to, to, you know, really just like a, you know, once in a, probably once in a century type of an event. I, hopefully that, COVID was once in a century. Uh, I, I can't deal with it more than once. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. So Jack, with that in mind, you know, just uh, to finish up here, the the idea, the term of you know interest rates, what we're seeing in that space. How are you seeing operators really kind of adapting to the new normal with rates where they are now compared to, like you mentioned, so many years of uh, practically free money. How are you seeing you know operators adjusting? What does that mean for kind of the deals that you're looking at? Yeah, so so those that were in uh, you know in deals two three years ago, those that got into deals with fixed rate debt are trying to figure out how to refinance long term. Um, you know, some are going into some loan modifications and working with their current lender for another year or two. Uh, others are are just tracking the five and the ten year and trying to time their you know their refinance uh, in, into long term debt. And uh, those that are looking at deals now are, are just generally underwriting more conservatively, looking at a lower loan to value from the start, you know, because of the higher cost of, of borrowing. Um, it doesn't support the same 75% or potentially up to 80% loan to value. 
most deals now are 60, 65% loan to value, which, which is good for investors. It's just safer with less leverage. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, pricing has come down um, from the peaks. Um, but uh, I just saw a stat the other day that the overall, the, on average, the pricing is really only down about 11%. Because mm-hmm. the fact is, only, the only people selling right now are generally forced to sell because of just the way their capital stack is structured and they can't support the higher interest rates. And they're, they're, they're not capitalized enough to, to just uh, pay the higher rates for another few years or, or life events. Uh, two of the recent deals that uh, we participated in were, were estate, uh, estate sales where um, they were just selling because the, you know, the, someone passed away and then the family didn't want to continue to run the property. So there's always life events that cause sales. And, um, you know, what we're seeing now is, is really the back to the basics deals that have positive cash flow day one, not, not buying opportunities where there's really no cash flow and, and the entire profit is just from renovating units and, and, uh, essentially flipping the property. It's a combination of current, current cash flow with that upside, uh, right. term of, of appreciation and forced appreciation through value add. Yeah. No, and like you said, this this feels better for investors when you're looking at, uh, you know, investing in a property based on actuals, based on what's really coming in, not necessarily, you know, having to go in and do huge renovations in a short timeline. It, it seems like this this is better for investors when it comes to, you know, having conservative, uh, conservative numbers, having conservative um, you know, day one cash flow rather than just hoping that uh, you can you know, double your money in two years on a quick sale, like we were able to see, you know, for for several years. It feels like a safer environment in that sense. Yeah, absolutely, and it does. Uh, you know, the, obviously, everyone loves to make a you know fifty hundred percent return. I mean, we had deals where we doubled our money in a year and two days, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it also can can somewhat poison the well investors get used to that and, and, and sort of chase higher risk. And they, they want that 50, 60, 70% IRR and really underestimate the, you know, the level of risk that, uh, you know, may have been taking to, uh, you know, to generate that IRR and right. you know, it goes back to that Warren Buffett quote of, uh, you know, when the tides go out, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And, uh, yeah, I think these are the deals we're doing now. The tide is out. And we're, we're getting good deals when the tide is out and we're, you know, we're swimming with our, uh, <laughs> with, with our best bathing suits on. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no. And I, I certainly agree. And it's good that, you know, we're able to be, you know, us as well as the operators that we work with are able to be really selective on deals. Right. And so can, can you talk a little bit about maybe over the past 12 months, how deal sourcing has changed? And you mentioned estate sales, having these kinds of uh, semi-off-market opportunities as a result. What, what are you seeing in terms of you know, off-market versus who's getting the best deals from the best brokers? It's been a tough year for brokers. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, and look, I think part of it is you know, the, the well-capitalized, the deals that are going really well, the deals that locked in fixed-rate debt, there's no reason to sell early. Uh, you know, a few years ago when the market was just running up, 20% a year. Uh, there was multiple offers on properties. It was pretty easy to sell. There'd be sometimes 20, 30 offers, and then there'd be four or five that went the highest and best. So, you know, if a broker got a listing, it was pretty easy for them. They just needed to weed through and figure out who to, who to invest with. But, uh, you know, many of the deals are just not in very similar to residential housing. Many of the, the best deals are just not, you know, if, you, if they're not distressed or forced to sell, they're probably going to wait around 
uh, and ride their low interest rates. But you know, you have a combination of just uh, those life event estates, uh, people who've owned properties a really long time, which you know who have such a low basis they can sell whatever they want. It's really just a life event thing, uh, or you know, or tax planning. And you, and you have, um, you know, the deals that have some level of distress because of the interest rate environment. Those that bought in 2020, 2021 may have overpaid a little bit, may have uh, been undercapitalized. Uh, those deals um, often don't fully come to market. They uh, There's a lot of quiet listings. There's a lot of people trying to, uh, um, you know, do a combination of either sell or maybe do a recapitalization or maybe, uh, you know, sell into a joint venture roll some of their investors into new deals. So it's it's time to be a lot more creative. And I think that's where the good brokers stand out. And that's where our operators who are best in class in, in markets uh, really excel as well, because they're the ones that will get that phone call because they're a guaranteed closer. Right. And uh, it's often, you know, there's often deals being bought where it's not even the top price. But if you're a seller and you want to get something done in 2023, and it was a month ago, you know, you can't take the risk of someone else not either being able to rate, not even not having the money to close or just not having the sophistication in the lending and uh, the ability to pull all the pieces together. So certainty of close is very, very important, uh, more, more so than, than ever. You know, perhaps two years ago, you know, a seller might take a chance on a, on a newer group that was the most aggressive and paying, paying the highest price. And now it's much more about certainty of execution and also just the confidence that they're going to take care of the asset because, you know, some of the sellers, especially those estates and longer term uh, owners, you know, they, they care about the property. They care about their, their employees. They care about their tenants. Some of them may have known their tenants for 10 or 20 years. They want to make sure that the property is in good hands. Yeah. We've, we've had several conversations like that with operators, you know, over the past six months, especially where, you know, some of them may have tried to buy a particular property several years ago got beat out by like, he's like, exactly like you said, one of these aggressive buyers coming in, offering a lot more money than, uh, than the second highest bid. And now, you know, there are a number who are getting kind of a second stab at some of those properties now that, you know, they did over, you know, that were overpriced at the time. And now, you know, we are starting to see 10, 15, even 20% discounts on some of these properties from the same people who would have bought them at that price several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. In some cases, it's even a year ago. Um, you know, there, there were deals that were potentially going to sell right before the Fed started moving rates in, uh, in 2022. And in some of those transactions, they just never closed. And now the seller is coming back a year later, just realizing that, you know, if they still want to sell, the pricing is going to be uh, a little bit different. And, uh, yeah, they're just coming back to market now. I mean, there was a lot of deals people walked from hard deposits, too, because at the peak, there were people putting offers in with like a half a million dollar hard deposit day one prior to any diligence. So That's those right. that did that, and then interest rates moved two or three percent in in the few months they were trying to to uh, raise uh, you know raise capital and, and finalize their loan terms. A lot of them just uh, realized their numbers didn't work when rates moved. Yeah, no, and and really operators are having to uh, really to work with the new normal in that sense and understand that you know we could have interest rates where they are for the time being. And it's not, you know, just going to be up and down immediately. And, you know, as, as we work with that, the deals will have to reflect it. Another thing that has really become uh, the new normal that could be issue, you know, an issue across several states, geographies is insurance. 
Jack, what, what are you hearing about, you know, changes in, in insurance, how it's altering deals, especially some of the states that we operate in, Texas, Florida come to mind? Uh, yeah, insurance is significantly higher. I just saw a quote uh, from uh, one of the operators that uh, that we talked to that on one of their properties, insurance went from uh, 400 a door to 1,200 a door. So 3x increase um, from uh, from the prior policy. Um, we had a deal that we were looking at earlier this year that uh, we had raised some money for, and it was an assumption. So we had thought we were past that point, but uh, the insurance, uh, because of the change of ownership, was uh, was going to change, and, and the bank actually was requiring a higher. Uh, on the assumption, they made some requests for a higher amount, which changed the pricing. And, and you know, fortunately, just because of the way the contract was structured, uh, you know, we're able to to walk away. There was no loss of any deposit or any investor funds. But you know, we had a deal we loved with a with a really low interest rate to assume that uh, the insurance just uh, changed the dynamic of the whole deal made the deal not uh not work it's it's challenging and i don't know um you know don't know what the answer is you know hopefully there's maybe some more competition that comes into the market um you know you certainly can't uh you know i'm certainly not a proponent of any sort of government regulation on it i mean you have to I think you have to let the insurance companies uh you know charge what they what they think makes sense we did have a period of years where there really weren't any major hurricanes or losses but over the last few years there's been a few few come through florida and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, there was obviously large ones in Texas over the last decade, uh, especially, you know, Houston had a large one about 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. And uh, I think it's just something else that's going to continue to price into, uh, into deals. Uh, just fortunately, you know, I know the groups we work with are very sophisticated, have um, good insurance uh, brokers that are able to, to shop for the best available policy and uh, you know, are smart enough to price to price it into the bid and not underestimate it. Some of the, um, you know, newer, less experienced uh, buyers may not do that. And, uh, you know, that's a major, can be a major surprise once the, once you close on the property and you get your renewal. Right. No. And I mean, these changes in, you know, the cost of insurance change in interest rates, you know, this really alters the IRR that uh, investors have become accustomed to. And, you know, if you don't underwrite it properly, we're talking about, you know, a deal going from, you know, 20% IRR to substantially lower. And it's it's something where you really do have to know who you're working with and be able to underwrite a deal properly, given all the changing factors that, you know, we're dealing with on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's something I've seen, I've seen inexperienced operators make those mistakes, um, insurance, property taxes. It's, it's really the, it's, it is the basics though. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, over, over a few years, when when you have this incredible bull market, uh, I think uh, sometimes people lose track of the basics uh, uh, from time to time, and uh, we've gotten back to a new normal. And uh, you know, I've seen that from the early two thousand dot com crash through through the two thousand six two thousand eight housing crisis to, to to now. It's a you know it's a cycle that does does seem to repeat itself. Sure, no, and I mean another one that is quite basic in in the sense of you know investing in real estate that you know we're really adapting to is rent growth you look at how rent growth has been i mean just booming for several years now as more more renters are you know are forced to continue renting long term moving to different markets as a result of remote work and you know, any number of other factors but there are markets now where we're starting to see a, a bit of a slowing in rent growth 
in you know, markets that have been going up substantially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's multiple levers here. I mean, you, you do have, I, I think we've sort of reached the peak of affordability uh, in some markets. You, you, you had, uh, you know, also a lot of COVID money floating around. And uh, um, I think a lot of people, you know, just saved a lot of money, uh, you know, between, between some subsidies and also just, uh, you know, not commuting two hours a day, not going out to eat as much. So I think it was a, um, you know, time for, for, for many to actually save, uh, save some money. I know, uh, my, uh, you know, grocery bill, you know, the grocery bill went up a little bit, but you know, the, the restaurant, the travel, everything, uh, you know, went down for, uh, for me as well. And, um, yeah, so I think in some markets you're kind of reaching a peak of affordability, but um, I saw um, a, you know, a stat recently. We're at about the most unaffordable to buy a house that it has been in in generations. Um, you know, so the cost to rent, even with the higher rents, the, the the cost to rent is about as cheap as it's ever been. It's really just coming down to sort of what's the affordability, what's the you know what happens to wage growth. Um, another stat I just saw. Um, Toll Brothers, uh, the CEO of Toll Brothers Home Builders was, uh, was on CNBC yesterday, just had it on in the morning. And he said, on average, 10% of the residential market was new construction. But wow. there is such a supply shortage right now that on average, 30% of home sales are actually new construction over the last year. And that is the highest that's ever been. Wow. Interesting. Especially when we... You know, we, we've talked on the show before about a lack of new construction in the country, about how there's been a, a significant need for, you know, a lot of the, what we do, the class B value add multifamily deals, because there has been a lack of new construction. It's not always affordable to build. It's a really interesting stat. I, I had no idea, Jack. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's obviously Toll Brothers is primarily single family towards the higher end of the market. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, what's uh, I think what's driving that is that 70% of the population either doesn't have a mortgage or is locked below 4%. Those that are locked below 4% um, largely don't want to sell. You know, you don't want to, no. you know, the, the person who would have traded up, the person who would have sold their 2,000 square foot house and bought a 3,000 square foot house a couple of years ago and taken advantage of the appreciation now realizes it'll cost them more. You know, even if they, even if they're unlocking a few hundred thousand in equity, you know, let's say they literally sell the house for the same price. Yeah, you know, sell it for five hundred, buy another one for five hundred. It's just going to cost them more money, even with a lower loan to value. So, um, people are choosing not to sell, and uh, you know, there's a, a lack of supply. Uh, that lack of supply will, uh, you know, continue to push more people to being renters. Um, you know, in certain multifamily markets, you know, Texas in general, I mean, there is some new supply coming. However, primarily that supply is the Class A, the higher end. Um, you know, two thousand twenty five hundred dollar a month rents. Uh, we, uh, whereas we're largely invested in, in the class B value add, which is 12, 14, $1,500 rents. So, um, you cannot build that product right now. Um, not without, right. with, not without a ton of, you know, government subsidies, uh, tax breaks, et cetera. It's just, it's impossible to build for that cost. Now in, in some markets, if you build a really nice class A, maybe some of the tenants, um, will move into the class A. Uh, maybe it pushes the old class A building to kind of A minus. So, you know, it doesn't mean that the new construction doesn't have any impact, but uh, yeah, I think largely what's being built is sort of for a separate audience. And, uh, you know, our, you know, our workforce housing tenant base, uh, 
you know, it, it, it should largely be stable, uh, you know, and, and, and what we try to do is put a class, you know, an A product, uh, new kitchens, new baths, new flooring in a, you know, in a slightly older property that's, you know, that's nice, but just not, you know, it doesn't have all the, maybe all the bells and whistles of the, you know, brand new building. Right. No. And, and like you said, that is stable. This is a group that, you know, isn't, isn't able to purchase uh, a home. You know, they are still looking to rent. They are still in a lot of the major markets that, uh, you know, that we're investing in right now. Again, you said Texas, Florida, these are still areas where people are living, people are working. And, you know, we are still, you know, we're not seeing that changing anytime soon. Yeah. And the populations are still growing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, we, we've gone through quite a bit of, uh, of what we're seeing in 2023. Jack, any anything that you want us to look for a little bit going into 2024 now that we're, we're working this new normal? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, this is this is going to be a big year. Um, you know, a lot of that distress, which we alluded to, um, you know, should come to a head in uh, in 2024. Now, I don't think it's going to have a drastic impact on overall pricing. Um, you know, the fact is only about. 10% of the multifamily market, as an example, used bridge loan debt. Uh, it's a stat I uh, you know, saw, saw recently. So, yeah, there's still a lot of family offices, a lot of uh, just investment groups that were conservative and had five and 10 year debt. But, uh, you know, in the market that we play pretty heavily in, I think we're expecting to see some significant opportunities for those investors who bought in 2020, 2019, 2021 that are, you know, going to be looking to sell or refinance in 2024. So I get really excited as someone who made a, you know, majority of my wealth from the distress of 2008. Um, I, I just get really excited about um, these, you know, opportunities that may come down the pike. And I will say, you know, everything we've done in the last six to nine months has been some of the best deals we've seen in 10 years. Absolutely. No, I think we have a lot to look forward to in 2024. So thanks as always for having me on Jack. Yeah. Thanks for uh, jumping on. It's great conversation. And, uh, to our audience, uh, please uh, remember to check us out if whatever platform you're on, uh, like us on YouTube, subscribe, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Please, uh, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review and, and reach out to us on uh, both Zach and I are active on LinkedIn. Uh, Zach, you're a little more active on Twitter, but we have a Twitter account, Facebook, Instagram. We have a Facebook group. So uh, let us know if you have questions, if you have something you want us to talk about. And uh, you know, definitely just reach out to us. And uh, we love to have conversations with investors. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. That's all for this episode of Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra-connected and ultra-wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.